0: The second reading is taken from James chapter three. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we will teach, but um, will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. my brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Two kinds of wisdom. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it Impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. Uh, We're going to be looking at James 3. If you've got your Bible there, that would be a great help. Um, My name's Ian. And if you're here for the first time or whatever, a special welcome. We're halfway through a book. We work our way through books of the Bible. James, written by the brother of Jesus. And um, also, as people have rightly said, it's like the book of Proverbs in the New Testament. Proverbs is this book of great whole series of wisdom statements. And James is the most like that in the New Testament. If I stick out my tongue to you. Where's the only place you can do that, and it's not a little bit rude? The dentist, the doctor. Yes. I don't know if doctors still do it, but they used to do it, ask you to stick your tongue out. And the idea was that they could tell something about your bodily physical health from the tongue. And um, the Bible has exactly that view. You can tell an awful lot about your heart from your tongue. By which it doesn't mean just the, the tiny little organ in our mouth, but by the, that's its way of talking about words, speech, the tongue, uh, or the mouth, words. It uses a number of uh, descriptors for this, but let me just give you a statement from Jesus that is a little surprising, uh, but it's, it's a verse of his that does haunt me. From Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So if you want to know what your heart is full of, listen to yourself. It'll let you know if you are worrying. It will let you know if you're angry. It will let you know if you're bitter by the things that you feel driven to speak about and the things that you converse about. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. It's like the x-ray of your heart, I was uh, in this building the other day, and I was talking with a man. And he, um, I was talking about why I didn't want to become a Christian when I was about nineteen, and explaining I was particularly unhappy with the idea of of um, what I thought would happen if I became a Christian in terms of my relationship with alcohol and other substances like that, and my relationship with my girlfriend. And he said quite confidently, "I don't think God could care less about either of those areas." And of course, the question is to work out, well, what, what does God care about? Um, as we're beginning to get to know God at all, we learn that if I think I can work out what God cares about by looking at what I care about, I've got an idol in my head. Very often, the things that we say God doesn't care about are the areas that we really do care about and don't want him to get his fingers into that area of life. So we say, no, no, he's not interested about that. Um, But it's quite clear that God is very interested in how you speak, how you use that gift that he has given to us. So let's pray that as we just skim our way through James 3 and look at one or two other verses, we'll actually hear what he has to say about that very important area of our lives. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the gift of life. Thank you that we're here. Thank you that you've not left us to guess. But you've spoken very clearly to us uh, through your son, through your prophets, through your apostles. We do ask that you would speak to each one of us today by your Holy Spirit, through your word. And we ask for this help in the name of Jesus. Amen. Or James chapter 3. Let me take you to the middle verse. Verse 5. Likewise... The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. We're going to look today from this passage that the tongue, and all that we do, with that language, etc., is an ultra-serious part of our life, and that the tongue is ultra-powerful. Secondly, we're going to look at the ugly inconsistency and contrast in the way that we use this gift. And thirdly, we're going to look at the untamable danger that the tongue is to life. The ultra seriousness, the ugly inconsistency, the untamable, and since they all start with you, we'll finish up with you. Um, Not to look at other people, although I'm sure as we look at this, you'll be thinking of other people that you've known and the impact that they've had on your life. But let's listen to what God is saying to us through James. We're going to skip past verse 1, not because I don't like it, but just I thought uh, it's, it's fairly straightforward. Let not many of you become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. So someone who's in a position like me, I, I do take it very seriously that we will be judged more strictly. Uh, the Bible says this, Jesus is quite clear about this in Mark 12 as well, that you can't get up at the end of your life on judgment day and say, but God... You you have to like me because I taught your word. I I led a home group. No, 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 no. That just makes life, in a sense, harder for you on that day. Too much is given, much is expected. And in the way that our life groups work, uh, it's not expected that a life group leader will be a teacher in that sort of way that it's talking out here. Now, there are some life group leaders who do enjoy being the teacher. Uh, That's a mixed blessing. I remember staying in a friend's house a few years ago, a very clever lawyer, had to be clever because he went to Sydney High and um, he was... uh, But I was just working on a talk that I had to give earlier the next morning and I could hear his life group working. Well, it wasn't working. It was just one man being a dreadfully interesting bore. As he would talk and talk and talk, someone would have a few seconds and then he would talk and talk and talk, uh, and not taking them into the scriptures but taking them out to all sorts of other interesting things. Uh, That's a self-appointed teacher. We hope that's not happening too much in our life groups where people are looking together at the scriptures and using the method that we think helps us do that and honour the scriptures rather than interesting bits of uh, uh, information that we gather. But it does say, be careful if you're a teacher. Um, we can talk about some other time. I'm not avoiding it because I might want to skimple. I just think we've got to look at this stuff that concerns us all because he moves straight along to all of us. Verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect able to keep their whole body in check. Then he goes on and speaks about the terrific power that there is in human language. He could speak about it, the power it does for good, and much of the scriptures will talk about that, but here he's like someone who's teaching you how to use a gun, and yes, guns have got quite a useful part in various areas of life, quite an important tool in various parts, like knives, but he's mainly here talking about safety, gun safety, tongue safety. Right? because the tongue can be used to do tremendous harm. I got a bit of culture over the last few days, and I watched Othello, um, which is a Shakespearean tragedy, and it's all about the power of the tongue and that people murder, commit suicide, and die because of the power of the tongue. Whole societies, whole churches, whole communities get destroyed because of the power of this very small part of the human anatomy. The tongue is a small part of the body, verse 5, but it makes great boasts. He gives three examples, as you heard. He talks about the horse in verse 3. We put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal. 400 kilos of muscle and hoof and hair. Big, strong animals, but they're controlled, pretty much, by a little bit of metal in the mouth. It's an example of a small thing does very significant work. And uh, I remember, yes, I don't don't know if you like horse riding. I do like horse riding. I'm no good at it, but I like it. I know it's hard work on the horses when I get on. But um, he he, he goes to the picture of horses because the verse before, he's spoken about keeping the whole body in check, which is the picture of holding the reins, which is a picture the Bible often has of what you and I need to do with our tongues, hold the reins. If you've rented some of the worst of rent horses... Um, You cannot get them to do more than the slowest, slow death march as they're going out. As soon as they turn around, often the the person who's guiding you will say, now hold the reins tight, because some of these suckers, as soon as they head for home, or particularly as as soon as they see the home gate, they take off. Suddenly the horse that you thought was dead is now running like Farlap. And the Bible will speak it. You need to keep... In fact, let's have a look at some of what James actually says about the tongue. Interestingly, about the power and the importance of the tongue, if you're a Christian person. I mean, this is good advice if you just want to live reasonably well. But it's really advice for those who follow Jesus. Let's see if we can find this. um, The first verse. About... Because here's the interesting, here's the brother of Jesus and in every single chapter of the five chapters he has something significant to say about the way that you and I use our tongue, our mouth and our language and the ways we can misuse it to damage ourselves and others. Verse, Chapter 1, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Well, that's a helpful bit of wisdom. As people often say, two ears, one mouth, use it somewhat in that proportion. Then, verse, six, uh, verse 26, this is about the reins. Those who consider themselves religious, now, religion has got a bad ring to it in our culture. You could say spiritual, if you like, or just genuinely Christian. But those who consider themselves to be spiritual and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Very strong language. So the picture is of the horse, the reins, not just you know, just cruising along, but holding them tight. Because there are times when your tongue, your desire to say something, will be very powerful, very urgent, and you need to simply hang that, don't don't shut you need to not say that thing. It does not suggest it will be easy. The easy thing is to say what you shouldn't say. Right? To say the unloving word, the unkind word. Keep a tight rein. Chapter 2. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour, you're doing right. Then verse 12. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law that gives freedom. So saying, how should you speak today? You should speak today knowing that you'll be judged by the law of God on that. You should be mindful of that. As Jesus says, what has been whispered in the inner room will be shouted from the rooftop. You've never really told a person a secret that Christ hasn't heard. And he has said, will on the judgment day be shouted from the rooftop. So speak aware of the fact that you will answer to God. As Jesus says, it's freaky. Jesus in in Matthew 12, he says, you'll give an account for every careless word. A couple of people at the 8am service thought they should go and join a Trappist monastery where no one says anything. And if you're a motor mouth as I am, I'm in all sorts of bother. Every careless word, whether or not it sits within the royal law of love. Chapter 3, obviously, that we're looking at now. It's a small thing, the tongue, great boasts. It cannot be tamed. And the weirdness of praise and cursing coming out of the same mouth. Chapter 4. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister judges them and speaks against the law and judges it. So here's a very simple That we are not to slander one another. Now, of course, that's true in general life too, but particularly saying here to the Christian community. That is, don't speak against someone. Don't share something about that person that puts them in a bad light. Right? Now, slander may be true, Right. It, in, in the way that the Bible is, it, it may be actually truthful what you're saying, at least truthful from your perspective or my perspective. But if, if, it, if the net result is that they walk away with a darkened view of the person that you've spoken about, you've just sinned. You've broken the law. And if you think you haven't, you've just judged the law and the, and the lawgiver, well done. Right? Because what the Bible does, it puts a fence around your neighbour and says you are not to do anything that will harm them. And if you do anything to harm them, you're kicking down the fence that God has put. So it is a personal offence against God. Because he's saying, don't slander. You're saying, I will if I, I flipping want it. They deserve it. And they may well deserve it in your petty little judgment. Right? But he's saying, that's, that's not how we're to use the gift. I take it the only time, as far as I can tell from the Bible, where you can speak badly of someone to someone else, is if that person is in clear and imminent danger from that person. Uh, And be very careful, we're very good at rationalising this to give ourselves the excuse to let the horse run off with the energy we get. Jesus does that when he warns his disciples against the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the way that they teach, because he sees that they are in danger from them, of mortal danger. So we're not to slander people or to speak badly of them. And then in chapter five, uh, then you too be patient, he's speaking out the fact that the church there is suffering in a way that we're not but you must be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near do not grumble against one another it's funny how grumbling in the Old and the New Testament is seen to be a sinful thing it's a national sport and pastime where we come from that's why Thanksgiving is such a good thing for us to get into you can grumble against God or you can grumble against your neighbour so it's not quite as vicious as slander but it's still mm, you're just having a All these things, James says, the Holy Spirit through him, are not on. And with his small tongue, we do all sorts of damage. The horse, we we need to hold it on that bridle, which is a powerful thing, even with a big animal. Then he goes on and talks about something else, another small thing that does powerful things. Take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder. Wherever the pilot wants to go. Again, he's saying it's it's small. The rudder you mightn't even notice it, and yet it's massively influential on what's happening. So here's a beautiful ship. It didn't stay afloat for very long, which is kind of a shame, but sad. It was, it was the Bismarck, which if it had got out amongst the convoys that were going taking goods from America to England, may well have turned the war. It was such such a terrifically powerful battleship, and so that the entire British Navy, which wasn't a bad Navy then. Uh, was to have one order, sink the Bismarck. And um, as you might know, in the end it was partly sunk because of a very old plane that dropped a torpedo and hit just at the right point. Where do you hit a sucker like that? It's 250 metres long. Uh, for much of the hull it was 12 inches of best German steel, terrifically powerful, a lot of torpedoes do nothing. Well, here's where they hit it, on the rudder. It jammed the rudder, 12 degrees port, so all it could do is go round and round and round. So the British Navy knew where it was. They knew it couldn't get away just because the rudder got hurt. A tiny little thing, and yet so powerful and important. And so in the end, the Bismarck sunk itself. It didn't want to be blown up by the dirty pommies. So it went to the bottom intact, basically. The rudder, as he says here, small thing. He's saying, that's what your tongue is like. It may seem small, it might seem unimportant, but there ain't nothing more important in what affects and shapes your life. That's how it works. And then he talks about fire. Verse 5. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. I was talking to Rob, who's a bit of an expert on fires and how to fight against them. Lots of fire stuff for many different reasons, but it can just be a spark. It can just be a cigarette butt that someone accidentally chucks out the window. The right things, the right leaves, right breeze, right little branch. And from a little spark, boom, hundreds of thousands of hectares destroyed, millions of dollars of property destroyed, human lives ended right, because of fire. And what he's saying is your tongue is very small, but it's like a spark that can start a fire. Now, some of you have lived through experiences like that. Families, churches, community groups, schools. One person comes in and begins to tell some stories and retell some stories, and the place burns down. Small thing. So your words, your words, James is saying, really do matter to God and to the well-being of the community. They ruin others, and they ruin yourself. In verse 6, he says the tongue also is a fire a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Now you probably, oh, he's exaggerating, isn't he? No, no, he's not exaggerating. He's telling you the truth about your tongue. And he's telling it to you because you're likely not to believe it, Set on fire from hell. Sets the whole course of one's life on fire. That's actually saying that if you misuse your tongue, not only will you damage others, but it may come back at you and you may have to spend a lot of time trying to undo the damage that's come because of the damage you've done with your tongue. Right? And he's saying this is, it's a small part of your body, but it's hugely important. It's ultra-serious and underrated. That's why it's in every chapter here. Well, secondly... He wants to speak to you and I as Christian people about sort of the ugly inconsistencies that there is with us and the use of this gift God has given us. And he does that very clearly in verse 9 to 12. Listen to what he says. There's a whole lot of things that are sort of shouldn't be happening side by side. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings. So we use our tongue to say, speak well of God as we should, as we can't help ourselves. But we also use our tongue to speak badly of, other, of humans who are in the image of God. Out of, the sound, out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. Now, by cursing here, he doesn't mean swearing. The Bible's quite clear that's a misuse of language when you to do that. But that's not what it's talking about here. And Nor is it the cursing that Harry Potter might do with a, with a little stick and a few words. It's the cursing which is the opposite of praise. Instead of speaking well of someone, it's speaking badly of them and damaging their reputation. Out of the same mouth, simple statement, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. Your mouth belongs to God. It's right to use it to praise God. It's wicked to use it to damage people's reputations, even if you think they deserve it. Can both fresh water and salt water come from the same spring? Now, I don't know if geologically they can or they can't, but you get the general picture here. He's saying, you know, the spring that puts good water, that's where you go. But here's a spring that one day it's salt water, one day it's fresh water. Now, our tendency in Australia is to think of salt water as a fun water. In this culture where they didn't go swimming very much, it ain't fun water, it's just useless water or deadly water if you drink it. So he's saying from the same spring, the same mouth, comes praise and cursing, salt and fresh. He's saying it should be one or the other. And then lastly, an absurdity. Verse 12. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? You don't need a PhD to work out the answer. That is probably no. Can a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. What he's speaking about here is the ugly possibility of Christian people being inconsistent, using your mouth to sing the praises of God and to speak of the good news of God's love, then using the same gift from God to attack, poison other people's view of people, pass on slander, which might be true, but it's just negative about that person and damages their reputation. It's an ugly inconsistency. I don't think here he's talking about hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when you pretend to be something you aren't. I think here he's speaking about an accident. We just haven't thought about the inconsistency. And he's saying it should be one or the other. Your mouth either belongs to God and therefore is to be used to build people up, right, or it belongs to the evil one and do what you like with it. Um, this is, of course, very important, although I don't want to spend too much time on this. If you're a parent or a teacher or a partner, if you're close to anybody... The way you speak to them can mortally damage them. You're probably more aware of how that's happened to you than the way that you may have done it to others. Because the other sad thing with lots of this is people will remember the two or three negative things you've said for 100 years longer than they will the seven or eight positive things you've said. There's a way in which the the put-down is remembered. And people often think, yeah, that's what you really think. The rest of the stuff is nice stuff that you just say. We need to be very careful. Any word of comparison between parents, uh, between children, etc., it's deadly. We do need to be careful because we can do terrible harm to people with our language. That old saying, "Sticks and stones may break my bones, but uh, well, sticks and stones may break my bones, words will never hurt me." Two statements: the first is true, and the second is false. It is true that sticks and bones can break your bo- sticks and whatever it is can break your bones. But you know words hurt you. That's why we say it to kids, right? Now, in a small area, like if someone says, you stink or something like that, you say, oh, just get over it. But for many of us, we can tell any number of stories when someone has said something which we just can't get out of our heads. It hurt. It's an ugly inconsistency. He's saying, don't do that. Your mouth belongs to God. Everything you say whether it's even thank you or please or whatever, you ought to be able to say, I think, in the name of Jesus. Which means that you may need to say something that is negative. I have a friend, I've told you this once before, Simon Manchester, some of you know him. Uh, When I became a Christian, he sort of helped me grow up for the first 12 months or so. And um, I remember one time he was talking about troubles he was having with his girlfriend, and uh, I gave him some advice. As about a three or four week old Christian, Advice on relationships is something I shouldn't have bothered to give. And Simon looked at me in a friendly sort of way and said, Ian, the devil always knows if he wants to speak to me, he can use your mouth. (laughs) Now, that stung a little bit. I'm still working it through in counselling, but it was true. It was true. I was his friend. I was a little bit younger. But what I said to him, he, he needed to work out how to treat this Christian sister he was going out with in a way that is loving and patient and kind and truthful. And I encouraged him to give what she flippin deserved, in my mind, which is exactly what you probably shouldn't give. Right? But then there's a guy sitting down here at the 8 o'clock service called Chris Collins, a lovely bloke. And uh, he said to me after a sermon in my first year here, I was, I was sort of playing with a few ideas and mocking some of the arrogant but stupid ideas of some public atheists and I don't think the intellectual critique was wrong on my part but he, as he left he said Ian he said it's, pro- it's probably better if you don't mock people like that he said you're a better man than that I think and I thought yeah I think it was right that he pulled me up on it I don't think I am a better man than that but it was generously done. So there's a place for calling people to account. But boy, we've got to be careful of doing it because sometimes we pretend that we're doing it for them and we're really doing it because we're angry. The way that we take revenge in in a sort of a civilized society is often verbally. We attack people's reputation. And if you've been hurt, you'll want to do that. And you'll need to keep a tight rein on it and go and pray and deal with it at a level where it needs to be dealt with. So it's ultra-serious and underrated. It's ugly and inconsistent, and he's saying, don't do that. That's insane to think you can have these different fruits on the, on the wrong tree. Right? Just You need to get back to the heart and the DNA. And uh, thirdly, he speaks of this, the problem with the tongue as being an untamable danger. It's a serious danger. It's like a spark in a very, very dry forest. Right? But he, he repeatedly says it's untamable. Look at verse 2. We all stumble in many ways, which is a lovely statement, isn't it? James doesn't say, You all stumble, I don't, I'm the brother of Jesus. Or, yous all stumble, I don't, I'm an apostle. He said, we all stumble. Right? We're all stumbling and making mistakes as we go. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect. And he uses actually the word stumble there as well. Anyone who never stumbles there... We, we, the English trans, in English, we're taught not to use the same word again and again and again in sentences. In Greek, they often will do that for emphasis and the English translations will then often just translate them fractionally differently uh, unless you've got one of the very literal translations like the New American Standard Bible or something like that. It doesn't, doesn't mislead you, but you, you get the... Cl- we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who never stumbles in what they say... Is perfect and by perfect here he uses the, the word the word perfect in most languages has got an, a range of meaning. it can mean ten out of ten. it almost never means that, uh, particularly when the scriptures use it. The same word is translated in chapter one as mature it 's complete well rounded getting to be where you need to be so the other day, Alice and I were out bike riding before I fell off, made a complete goose of myself, and we were, there was a beautiful valley we were looking across uh, at the back of Camber, horses, the Bell, etc., etc. And I said, in my usual poetic way, "Perfect, isn't it?" Now, I didn't really mean perfect; that there was no possible ways it could be improved, right? Like to put a beach there as well would have been terrific. That would have been perfect, maybe. But I'm just saying, it's just—it's all there, isn't it? It's just lovely and it's magnificent. And this is perfect, normally to mature, rounded. And he's saying, "We all stumble, and and, and all of us are going to have." If, you, if, you, if you've worked out the speech thing and you've never seen in the area of speech, you're a perfect person. You're able to keep the whole body in check. But then in verse 7 and 8, he's very clear. He picks up that same idea about controlling it. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. Now, this was a big thing in the ancient world. We've got, We've got sort of... Uh, animal ethics sort of questions about some of this but basically if you walk through any of the ancient cities there was every possible animal imagined from fleas to, sp- to elephants to all sorts of things that have been trained to do tricks. Uh, this is the only reference we have from the ancient documents of uh, sea creatures being trained whether or not he's talking about they had a sort of a sea world and dolphins we don't know but he's saying all sorts of things have been trained but no human being contained the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. He's very clear on this. He's saying the tongue, we can tame all sorts of things. But your tongue is something you're going to need to guard. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Keep a tight rein on it. And because the harm you can do accidentally, let me just, some of you, this is a a musical band I've never been a fan of. Um, (laughs) There was a time when about every second wedding you had, the couple would leave, and some of you might have been done this, and that's okay, forgiveness is possible, with a carpenter's song we've only just begun." I't sing it but they, they've got beautiful voices. Karen Cutton had a particularly beautiful voice. she had this sort of low basement range she could do, and as many of you know, she died uh, through the results of anorexia and bulimia, etc. and it does seem that the thing that I mean, there would have been other issues involved, but it does seem that the thing that really sort of energised this obsession she had on losing weight was that a journalist described her as Richard's chubby sister. Now, I don't think the journalist had the, had the intent of doing the damage that he seems to have done, but that was a, a phrase she could sort of never get out of her head and heart, and she didn't want to be Richard's chubby sister. She look, I've never seen a picture where she looks chubby it doesn't matter but it's just the this is the danger of the tongue you can make just a a small negative derogatory comment when a person is feeling low and vulnerable in that area and without meaning to you can do terrible damage to someone and he's saying here this is this is an untamable source of evil why does he tell us then about this why does he tell us to keep a tight rein on it when apparently we can't win against this? Because the way that you make serious, notable, big-time change is by going for it. I used to teach the 15C rugby team at the school. Every year it was a great level to teach, it was sort of serious fun, and we had these things in rugby called no mistake drills, where we they'd do this drill passing the ball, etc., etc. And we called no mistake drills. Okay. Now, I knew they were going to make the mistake. There were 15 Cs for crying out loud. But it was just to help them to take it seriously. And they would actually do those drills much better. And so it's by aiming high that you mightn't actually hit there. You may well hit there. And you certainly will lift your game. So he's saying, we need to keep a tight rein on our tongues. We need to take seriously, not to allow ourselves to speak praise to God and then be politely vicious about some human being. And it will change us. And this is actually how God, when, see when you know when Jesus says to, to the disciples about um, rich people getting to heaven, and he says, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. God at times says, yes, you can't do this, this is too hard for you, you're too deeply infected by this, but with God all things are possible. Romans 8.13 holds a terrifically important place in understanding how these sort of changes can come into our lives. He says this. If you live according to the flesh, that is according to your ordinary broken humanness, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Who's putting to death parts of the misbehaviour of, of our tongue and, and The rest of our brokenness. You are. How do you do it? By the Spirit. So you call out to God for the power of the Holy Spirit to enable you to say no, to enable you to grow more loving from the heart. Because it's from the heart that the mouth speaks. And Jesus and the Holy Spirit can get to work on our hearts and transform us, and He will. But we've got to see it's an untamable damn thing that we're going to be wrestling with for many, many years to come. So, it's ultra-serious and underrated. We've got to be aware of ugly inconsistencies and that we're all dealing with an untamable danger. What are you going to do about it? Well, I don't know about you, but uh, when it comes to sticking out my tongue and finding out how healthy I am, I need to listen to myself uh, and realise I will be deceitful and trick myself. You could ask if you're married or if you have a friend. Ask them to help you, to be aware. Now, if you're probably unlikely to do that because you think your partner is too critical or because you think they've got too much information on you, do it anyhow. It's far better to hear something back because we do need to see what we're like. And sometimes people close to us, even if they're a tad more critical than they should be, which in my case is any criticism at all, really. But um, that's a joke, sorry. But... um, uh, But for me, I am determined that this mouth is not going to be used to be derogatory of other people. I, I, you know, I'm not good at it. I'm, I'm very good at being cleverly derogatory, particularly for people who deserve it, in my mind. But to say it's far better to not say anything than to say something that, that degrades another person and damages the person you're talking to as well. I've met people that I realise I know a lot about you and I've never met them and a lot of it's negative and I think, not here, so don't, don't do anything, you know, I think, I shouldn't know anything about you but I know a number of your weaknesses, which is just a way that you can be bitchy about people. But I can, I'm not gonna allow my mouth to be used like that. There's no point a person who's married saying, I'm faithful to my partner 360 days of the year, the five days, you know, person's got a bit of freedom, a bit of variation, No, 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 you're unfaithful. You're an adulterer. And what this is saying is 365 days of the year, 24-7. That's how we've got to do this, to speak lovingly all the time and to ask for help. C.S. Lewis has got that really helpful thing where he says that God is easily pleased but hard to satisfy. Now, that that could be misunderstood, but what he's saying by that is this. He said, God is like a father with a child who can't walk. He's learning to walk, or, or a mother, um, and the first time they take a step, you get really excited, even though they look like a little drunk,. Don't they? <laughs> right? And then they fall over, and you go, "Hey, do we get a picture of that?" Right? And we get all excited. Now you're easily pleased with the step, but you're not satisfied. You know, If at 15 they were still walking like that, <laughs> unless they had a, you know, a serious disability, you'd be saying, "My goodness!" and so easily pleased and so as you try today to, 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 to discipline to learn to pull the reins in on the energy that you've got to share the negative story about that person who's so difficult to live with or to deal with right? God will he will change you and he will be delighted he's easily pleased but he's got big plans he wants us to speak like Jesus when Jesus is on the cross he? what does he do? Father forgive them they don't know what they're doing He's praying for the people that he could easily curse. And perhaps you won't think he should. Later on, he looks after his mother. He's having a bad day, Jesus. He's dying. And he sees his mother Mary and the disciple John. And he says to John, behold your mother. And says to her, behold your son. And the next verse says that from that day, John took her into his house. He was entrusting his mum into the hands of his best friend. So even at that point, Jesus has got every reason to be selfish and cranky, but he's caring for his mother. And looking, going, oh, mum, what the heck are you doing here? Right? And then lastly, his third last word from the cross is where he says to the crook who's put his faith in him, today I tell you, you'll be with me in paradise. Not happy just to forgive the man, which is wonderful, but he wants the man to die with a level of joy and peace in his heart. Even on his worst day. And what what the Spirit of God's trying to do is to change us, not just to enjoy the fact that even when we stumble, we're forgiven, but to to make us truly, wonderfully human and like Jesus. So see how you go this week and next week after coffee, you can share with brothers and sisters here how you went in the speaking evil of no one and sort of taming the tongue. All right, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this very practical part of your word to us the Proverbs of the New Testament. We thank you for the wonderful gift of speech. We admit that we've often misused it to hurt others, damage people's reputation, damage relationships. We thank you that you are a God quick to forgive. And we pray you would help us to take seriously this call to keep a tight rein on our tongue and that our mouths may specialise in speaking in love towards you and in love towards our neighbours that we would become like Christ. We pray for this help and blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.